Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Hmm. What do you think Paul's telling Timothy here? What's the word charge? What's the idea behind a charge? Remember we talked about the word charge? It's a command. And what particularly in what context of a command? Military command. It was a military command. I am commanding you, this is orders from the general to the private, if you want to think about it. I charge you, and I'm doing it in the presence of who? God and the holy angels. Well, actually, now I hear the holy angels. Another one where it says, I charge you for God and the, whole, and the elect angels. This is just God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are those two personages? Yeah, so on the grand scheme, on the chain of command, what two places do they occupy? One and two, all right? So the whole point there is Paul is basically given a military command in the presence of the high command, by implication, the high command is agreeing with what Paul is saying. So this charge is not only coming from Paul, but it's coming as though it were from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are both of them going to do? Judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. So these are the two beings in the universe that hold all the aces in the deck. They're the ones that are going to judge the world. They're the ones that are going to have absolute authority and absolute finality on their judgments. And Paul is saying, I'm giving you a command before these two. I want you to do something. And what is it that he wants Timothy to do? What does it mean to preach the word? And what is the word? The word of God. So what's Timothy's job? Spread the word, that's it. Preach the word. And notice what it is here, and this is something we need to be very careful to, to, to understand. It's not Paul's opinions. Timothy is not to preach his opinions. He's not to preach his ideas. It's not to preach his philosophies. It's to preach the Word. And only when he preaches the Word is he preaching the right, the right thing. Now, what is the responsibility of the hearer? Timothy is to preach the Word. What are you to do as a hearer? Accept it, and how do you accept or reject it? Okay, 
But what are you to do with the word that is preached? Before you apply it. Before you accept it. Test it with what? With the word itself. Timothy is to preach the word. That is his number one and only charge. It's not to preach his opinions. It's to preach the word of God. And it's incumbent upon a hearer to obey the word of God after they have tested. Test all things. 1 Thessalonians 5, right? Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Test all things. Test it with what? With the word of God. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. And if you want to stop, when, how do you evaluate preachers? Yeah. What they preach and how they live. All right? And it goes with character. But it's important to hear what they preach. One of the things, and I'm sure we all know that, the, um, there's all kinds of different kinds of preachers out there. Um, some of you might have gone to churches. Hopefully, maybe, hopefully you're not going to. But you might have gone to churches where where did the pastor learn to preach? Where did he learn to preach? From the guy before him. Where did that guy learn to preach? From the guy before him. And from the guy before him. So where is his theology founded on, necessarily? Traditions. I've been to traditional churches where somebody gets up and they're preaching. You say, where'd that come from? Well, you know, that's what my preacher taught me. Well, where'd he get it? Well, he must have got it from his preacher. Well, did you ever compare it with the Bible? And sometimes the answer is, no, they haven't. No, they haven't. What is your primary source of truth as a preacher? Here. And, and it's, it's a study of this. And a, a lot of times what you have in some of these churches is preachers that take a verse, dive off, and begin to swim, picking up all the stuff they had from their previous history, and they never do get back to the text and understanding what does the text say, how does the text, how the text should be applied. They just make it up as they go along. And they talk, they sound like they're preaching, and they may be entertaining, they may be funny, but they're not telling you anything. There are preachers I've heard that are entertaining and funny when they're done. I didn't learn anything. Oh, I had fun for a half hour laughing and having a good time. But he didn't get anywhere. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Proclaim it. Not your opinions, not stories, not anecdotes, but preach the Word. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use these other things to illustrate the Word. You can certainly do that. But it's not your Word that's being preached. It's the Word being preached. 
And to do that, be ready in season and out of season. What do you think he means by that? Yeah. Not, it doesn't mean in, in, in winter and summer and spring and fall. It means when, when you hear it, when people accept it, when they don't. Are there times when people are receptive to the Word? Yeah, and there are times when they're not, isn't it? And unfortunately, for, most, for a lot of preachers, what determines what they preach? How does the crowd respond? How does the crowd respond? You know, and if they preach something that's unpopular, they stop preaching it. How would you like to be accused of putting words into God's mouth? Something you need to think about. Now, this verse primarily applies to Timothy. Secondarily, it applies to preachers, but tertiarily, who does it apply to? All of us. When you're talking to somebody... Make sure you got the Word of God right. Make sure you've done your homework. Just don't pull stuff out of the air. Make sure you've, you, you know what the Word says and that it means what it says. That takes a little bit of energy and effort. And You know, Pastor Jim, when he was in here, talked about how many hours he spends going over the Word of God to get it down, to get it... And I'll tell you, I've, I've really appreciated many of his sermons because... It showed me that someone has sat there and has read through the text enough times to, to really get a feel for what it's saying. And it doesn't just come in there with the first notion and run off with it. It takes a little bit of work and energy and effort. Be a student of the Word is some time, some, some hours to be spent here. I mean, earlier on he says, study to show yourself approved. Study, spude, work to the point of exhaustion. Labor to, the t to just wearing yourself out. To do what? To cut the Word of God straight so that it pieces together correctly. A preacher should always be learning, shouldn't he? A preacher should always be learning. He said, preach the Word... Do it when it's ready, or when it's when it's accepted, or when it's not accepted. And in preaching the Word, what are the elements of preaching the Word? What's convincing me? <clears throat> Preach to change somebody's mind about something, right? Make it yeah. Now, Biblically correct, but you you preach or you teach so as to change opinion, right? How'd you like it if I came in here and said, "Okay, here's election now. You can take it or leave it." 
Doesn't matter. Pick one, have at it. Am I, be, am I very convincing? No, I mean, i got to try and convince you, right? And if I'm wrong, what should I do? Well, I, I'll, I'll change, but I'm not going to come here and say, well, you know, pick this or pick that or pick that or pick that or doesn't matter what you believe, just believe anything. We're going to go through the book of Revelation. I'm going to teach it convincingly. I'm not going to say, well, you know, here's an away tuber, here's here, here, pick one of them, have at it, doesn't matter. How did Jesus teach? Did he tell the people, well, you know, you can take it or leave it. It's up to you. You know, it's... He taught with authority. Where did his authority... Now, in his case, where did his authority derive from? Well, from himself. He knew the truth. But he spoke what was in the Word of God. Where does your authority come from as a preacher or teacher of the Word? The Word of God. It does not come from you. I have no authority to tell you to believe anything. None. Zero, zilch, nada. Don't go out of here and say, well, I believe it because that's what Schaefer believes. Well, then we both might be wrong, right? If you believe something, make sure that you can defend it. Test it. And when you teach it, don't teach it, well, you know, this is my opinion, and I... You know, we got this idea today, sort of the, there's this false humility that goes around where he says, well, you know, you don't want to be too authoritative and dogmatic. After all, who died and crowned you king? You know, you certainly don't want to be authoritative on anything. You want to just give people suggestions. Well, did Jesus Christ go around suggesting things to people? Um, I suggest that you enter in at the straight gate. I suggest, that's a, that, that, I'd suggest that. Now, you may not want to do that, and um, it's okay if you don't, but I suggest, no, he didn't do that. He didn't mamby-pamby around. You think Paul suggested things? No. John the Baptist, he said, uh, well, you know, maybe you, should, you might want to consider giving your cloak to somebody who doesn't have one. That would probably be a good thing to do. And when the Pharisees showed up, what did he call them? Here come the snakes. Here comes the brood of vipers. That isn't, you don't want to be obnoxious, you know, and, you know, when pagans come out, say, oh, here comes the pagans, here comes the snakes, and all that. The, the whole point is, Paul, Peter, Christ, when they taught the Word of God, they didn't teach it wishy washy, take it or leave it kind of manner. They taught with authority, with conviction. If you don't teach with conviction, you're not teaching. MacArthur said he had one guy show up. One guy was a, said, uh, he's a salesman. He says, I like coming to your service. And, and MacArthur asked him, you know, whether he was a Christian. I said, no, I'm not a Christian at all. He said, I just like the way you teach because you teach with authority. I like that. And that helps me get geared up for doing my sales pitch. You know, because at least, you know, you, you you believe what you believe and you're, you know. But, but the interesting thing there, the illustration is, MacArthur didn't teach mamby-pamby, take it or leave it. He taught with authority. He taught with conviction. He taught to convince people. How did Christ teach? To convince them. Now, ultimately, are, if you teach to convince, are you only going to convince anyone of anything? And of yourself? 
No, what's going to convince them is the truth of the Word of God, but you teach with conviction in your heart. Paul says, I teach to persuade men. You drive to change the heart, to change the thinking with the Word of God. Teach convincingly. Yeah. You didn't go to Mars Hill and said, well, you know, here's my opinion. Now, that's the last thing they needed at Mars Hill, right? Because they already had all the opinions. They needed, that's where all the philosophers went. You could hear any of them. Paul Siddons come and say, well, let me give you my opinion on things. It's not Paul's responsibility to give an opinion. The Word of God is not an opinion. It's the Word of God. You either agree with it or you disagree with it. And if you're to teach it, teach it with convincing words. Don't, don't teach it almost scared to death that somebody would actually change their mind and believe what it is it's saying. It's not the way God delivered it. He didn't deliver it to, as a big opinion book. Yeah, how do you know which part to believe and what not to believe? And that goes back to the, all Scripture is inspired by God. You don't need to worry about what parts of this are true and what's not. I mean, something, yeah, and I was listening to this and it's so true. If, the, if all the Bible is true, why, why is it that most Christians believe the Bible is the literal inspired Word of God? They believe it, except for the first 11 chapters of Genesis and you've got to throw evolution in there. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? You've got an infinite, all-powerful, eternal God who can do anything He wants, and He takes a few billion years to create this mess? He couldn't have just spoken into existence? I mean, it's true or it's not. You say, well, you're being simple-minded. No. This is my authority. I'm not being simple-minded. I'm, I'm going with the truth of the Word of God. And if God has gone to all the trouble to tell us how to live and all that, what do you think he did in Revelation? Give us something that he says, well, you know, take what you want. and You know, it's all going to work out. You can believe this, you can believe that. You can be an amillennialist, premillennialist, it doesn't matter. Pick one. No, it does matter, right? There's a right and there's a wrong. And it comes from the Word of God. It comes from an application and understanding of the Word of God. And you can understand that. The Holy Spirit can give you understanding, but teach convincingly. Teach with conviction. And then it says there, rebuke. What does it mean to rebuke? Yeah, to point out error. I think it's Charles Finney who had a, enough theological problems of his own. But he did preach one interesting <clears throat> sermon one time. I think it was how to preach so as not to convict anyone. And point one was, preach about sin, but don't mention any of the sins of the congregation. 
What are you to do when something... Now, now, does this just mean you go through life rebuking everybody? No, no, it doesn't mean that. But it means when you're preaching the Word of God and you come across a verse that talks about gossip, how do you deal with it? Well, that's what... Yeah. And by the way, the word, the Bible links gossip right up there along with murder and fornication and adultery and everything else. Don't, man, don't dance around it. Rebuke. And, part, and that's what the Word of God does sometimes, doesn't it? It rebukes us. As we read the Word of God, there are places where I'm comforted. There are places where it's kind of painful. Because it's telling me some things about me that I don't like to hear. But I need to hear. And, and the true preacher of the Word of God, notice what it says here, the true preacher of the Word of God is not worried about what do people think about what I'm saying. Totally irrelevant. The true preacher of the Word of God is worried about am I getting this message correct? Am I communicating it correctly? Who cares about how they receive it? I mean, you do care, but the point, it's not how they receive it. It's are you presenting it right? Because that was the role of the prophet in the Old Testament, right? What was his job? To take what God said and say it whether it was in season or out of season. I'd like to be Nathan the prophet and have to go up to David and point out his sin. Hey, that, that's, that's the role of the prophet. The role of the preacher is that sometimes you need to look at people and say, thus says the Lord. Not thus says me. Thus says the Lord. Rebuke. Exhort. What does it mean to exhort? Build up to encourage. Part of the role of the word, the preaching of the word, is to exhort people to godly living, to encourage them. And notice, notice here, one of the things to remember here, the true preacher does all of these things. Not there's some preachers, all they do is beat on you all day long, right? That's all they do. They beat on you. Every time you come out of the service, you're beat black and blue. All right? There are other services you go to. All they do is talk about, you know, all the nice stuff, all the, you know, just making you feel all warm and fuzzy, right? The true preacher is to do all of these things. So how, how best can you do all of these things? Got it. That's not hard, isn't it? See, he learned, he's got it. Because if you do it verse by verse, you can't skip the parts you don't like, right? That's why the best preaching, I think the best preaching is to take the Word of God verse by verse. I'll tell you, that's how I learned the Word of God, is I learned it verse by verse. So when somebody quotes a verse and then they go running off with it on some oddball rabbit trail, I get the heebie-jeebies because I've, I've learned it in context. I know what it's saying. I don't know where he's getting at because he's taking it out of context. If you go verse by verse by verse, you get all of it, and you've got to take all of the 
stuff that God has said. And there are passages that are really nice and warm and fuzzy and wonderful. There are other passages that you just don't like to deal with and you take it off. One verse at a time. Unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. And that's how I learned the Word of God. That's how I learned this. Because you learn it in context. You're not picking... If you're, if you're a topical preacher, you're going to pick out the things you like, right? Sort of like going to the smorgasbord, right? If, you go to, if I go to smorgasbord, I guarantee you I will not pick out the fish. I hate fish. And I, I think coleslaw is an aberration of nature. I will not touch coleslaw. I won't eat it. I'll pick out what I like, right? Yeah. And, and Donna, Donna loves kielbasa and kraut. I think that is... That is gross. All right. Aren't there websites where preachers, you know, they sign up and they type in, I'm going to do something this Sunday on so-and-so. give them a sermon. Yeah, you know, that's a lazy, that's a lazy preacher's way to, to do it. But, but the whole point is, if you're left as a topical preacher, what are you going to do? You're going to pick the things you like to talk about, right? Just like if you go to the smorgasbord, you're gonna pick or cafeteria, you're gonna pick out the things that you like to eat. You're not gonna pick out the things you don't. If you're an exegetical preacher, you're gonna try one of everything on the menu. And once in a while you get a yeah. People need a at your job as a preacher. What did Paul say? I have not neglected to share it, to give you the whole counsel of God. I didn't pick out the things I like. Face it, there are doctrines all of us in here really like, isn't there? We really love to talk about them. There are others that, you know, ah, I don't want, don't want to go there. Well, if you're an expository preacher and you're doing a verse by verse, you're going to hit it all. You know, I remember a few years ago, um, one of the pastors in the church here came up with a plan to teach various portions of the scripture in the Sunday school class, adult Sunday school classes. You're supposed to have like an old, in three years, you're supposed to be like an Old Testament book, a New Testament book. You're supposed to do a series on evangelism. You do one on worship, one on this, one on spiritual gifts. And he had this whole big, massive plan. And I looked at him, I said, you know, I really appreciate you, Dave, but I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick a book, I'm going to start at the first verse, and I'm going to go all the way through to the last verse, and I will guarantee you that I will hit every one of those topics that you have listed out there as I go through the book. I don't need something to tell me. Now, you need to talk about evangelism. Well, good night if you're going through a book of the Bible, it's gonna, there's going to be some passages on that. There are going to be passages on spiritual gifts and passages on Christian living and passages on worship and prayer and things like that. You're going to hit them all. You're going to get a balanced diet. Yeah. We've got it. We covered everything, didn't we? Yeah, you still want, you still want to do an exegetical study of the a temple and uh, yeah, I, I keep asking like what books they want. Well, I want to do Lamentations or something like that, you know. Yeah, it's just 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 Bart. It's just him.
But I mean, we went through the minor prophets, and going through the minor prophets, we hit evangelism, we hit holy living, and we hit everything. It's all there. And Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to convince people, rebuke people, exhort people with all long suffering. What's it mean, long suffering? What's that? Sticking up with who? My long suffering it has to do with people. There are going to be people that don't like what you teach. I never forget the first time I had a lady walk out of my Sunday school class. You weren't. I called Kenneth Copeland a heretic. She slammed her Bible and got up and walked out. Come to find out she was giving money to Kenneth Copeland Ministries. You know who Kenneth Copeland is. He denies the deity of Christ. and I'll, That's just the least of his problems. Along with a bunch of other stuff, he is a heretic beyond belief. And she was mad. You know, I sort of felt bad that she got up and left, but you know what? I wouldn't take back what I said. Now, I didn't mean to pick on Kenneth Copeland necessarily. It just came up because we were talking about the whole issue of the deity of Christ and false teachers, and his name popped into my head as one of the guys who denied it, and he does. I'm not putting words in his mouth. He even said himself he didn't believe Jesus is God. And he got that. You know where he got that from? Well, a 90-foot Jesus showed up to him and told him, I never claimed to be God. That's where he got it. Jesus himself told Kenneth Copeland that he never claimed to be God. You know? So, he does. Along with Papa Hagen. Ken Hagen. But they didn't, you know, and, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do this to make, you know, I don't think, okay, now how can I research some stuff to make people mad? Get out. Well, you know, you don't. You just teach the word. But when you do that, some people are not going to take it very well. And I wanted to help him. But that was his. But I couldn't believe he said that. Well, what I what scares me is all the men of valor sat there and finished out the sermon. I would have, yeah. As a group, you should have all got up and walked out and said, uh, "Enough of this." I, I, you know, I think Paul was polite, but I think in that case he would have been just, he would have got up and left. That's just me. I'm just, I don't. Yeah, yeah, but. But when you, when you teach the Word of God, you've got to deal with long-suffering because you're going to be dealing with people that don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. But that doesn't alter your message. That doesn't alter your because it's not your message. And I remember having to tell this lady, I said, look, I didn't make this up. I'm stuck with what the Bible says. Oh, I had another time. I had a Mormon in the class, and I didn't know it. Now that was fun when we started talking about the deity of Christ. And here's a Mormon. I didn't know he was a Mormon. And I mentioned, you know, there are some denominations that, you know, deny the deity of Christ, like the Mormons. And I launched in the whole Mormons denying the deity. And this guy was getting redder and redder and redder and madder and madder. And after the class, he ripped into me. And I, you know, what is wrong with this guy? You know, I, I couldn't get it. He was mad. You know. And then next, Grandma Grace came up to me and said, "I heard about that Mormon in your class. I got mad." At him. 
okay, that explains it. He was a Mormon. You know, now I didn't take a you know a survey to figure out do I got any Mormons in the crowd so I can make them mad? That wasn't the purpose of it, but look, I, I was teaching through the word of God. We were on topic, the deity of Christ. You have at it when it one of your classes once a few years back because we were talking about charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of the Moody classes? Yes. One of these, last like three or four class, years ago. The last class we lost a lady like that. Well, there was one a few years back. Maybe like, I think maybe like Yeah. Yeah, she was upset about it. Well, see, I didn't even know about that. So, But, you know, the point is, you know, as a, as a teacher, as a preacher, you know, you're not trying to take surveys of your audience to find out what offends them so you can step on them and make them feel bad. Look, you teach the Word of God as it is. And, if the, and some people are going to be offended by it. When Christ spoke, were there some people that were offended? Yeah, yeah remember the disciples came and said, said, Lord, you don't, they were really ticked at what you said. And what did Christ say? Oh, gee, I feel really bad about that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that at all. He, he wasn't. He didn't say that at all, right? I forget where that that is in the in the new, that's in one of the gospels where you know the disciples, boy, Lord, do you know you really offended them? I forget where it was, and you know Christ was not said, oh man, you know, I really feel bad about that. No, truth is truth is truth. Now you don't want to be obnoxious and abrasive, but look, in teaching the word of God, some people are going to be offended. That's part of the out-of-season piece here. With all long-suffering and teaching. With all long-suffering, with all teaching. Uh, you know, you got to keep at it. You know, I've, I've taught the Word of God for many years, and there are some people that are successes, like Bart. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the jury's still out here, but... And they're... There are some people. <laughs> there are some people. There are some people that are fi that were failures. You know, I remember, you know, teaching the word of God for many years and having some people walk off the deep end. You don't give up, do you? No. You stay at it. You're teaching the word of God. It's not your opinion. It's not your. Theology, it's not your ideas, it's the Word of God that you teach. And let chips fall where they fall. And some days it's going to go good, and some days it's going to go bad. Some days it'll be in season, and others it'll be out of season. But that doesn't change the message. Do not allow, the, the, the big idea Paul's trying to get here to Timothy is don't allow the response of people to dictate what it is you're preaching. Preach the word. Let the response fall where the response falls. You are responsible, Timothy, to preach the word. And I'm charging you before God and before the holy angels. So this is a, a, a non... How can you want to put it? It's a... It's a, it's a it's it, he's stuck to do this. He's stuck to do this. He has to do this. And then he says here, um, 
for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's of the day? The people. There's coming a time when the people will not put up with sound, hygienic doctrine. Remember, that's the sound doctrine. That shows up again and again and again and again. Now he's talking about the audience. Okay? One of the hardest things as a preacher is when you're preaching and everybody leaves. Because there's that human part of you that says, wow, what am I doing to make them mad? You know, why are they leaving? Well, it may not be you at all. Many times it's not you. Yeah. Well, look at a sower went out to sow. Right? A sower went out to sow. And he threw the seed. All right? And what happened to some of it? Well, you got hard ground. You got the weedy ground. You got the stony ground, the good soil. His job was to broadcast the seed. Your job is to preach the word. Sometimes your word you're going to preach going to fall on hard ground. Sometimes it's the stony. Sometimes it's the thorny. Sometimes it actually takes root and goes somewhere. But your job is to still preach it. Because the time is coming when people, the audience, he's now focusing here, he's turning the focus from the preacher now to the audience. Because there's coming a point when the audience, when the others, they will not endure sound doctrine. What does it mean to endure sound doctrine? They will not hear listen. Now we generally have a society today that does not want to listen to sound doctrine. There, there are people today that don't want to hear. You're being told by people, you preach more than 15 minutes, you've lost your audience. They want to hear you. Or, you know, unless you get a, a video or a drama or something, and it, you know, they're going to go to sleep on you. Well, that shouldn't drive the message, right? We know that there's coming a time when people don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth. What do they want to hear? But according to their own desires... According to their own desires. People according to their own desires, their own lusts. And because they have itching ears, what's the idea of an itching ear? The idea there is it's sort of drawing the, the example of an animal who wants its ear scratched. They want someone to tell them what they want to hear. Um, anybody know about a guy named Bob Shuler? Crystal Cathedral. You know how he got started? Yeah, but you know how he got started? He did a survey, a marketing analysis, and guess what he asked? What do you want to hear? And you know what he gave them? What they wanted to hear. And that's why he's got a multi-million dollar ministry right now. It's easy to, you know, it's easy to draw a crowd. Just tell people they want to hear. 
That's easy. Give them what they want to hear. Find out what they want to hear. Tell them that. Now, if people, if, if people, if you fall down to telling people what they want to hear, what will you not tell them? You won't tell them the Word of God, right? It's just like a kid. Take a kid to a store, you know, to a smorgasbord. Okay, you can have anything you want to eat. Where's he going to go? Right to the desserts. All right. The last thing you're going to talk about is green beans and artichokes and asparagus and fish and coleslaw or whatever else. He's going to go right to the sweets. He's going to go right to what he likes. You, you, you tell the average church member, what do you want to hear? Where are they going to go? Right to the sweets. That's not your job as a preacher. Your job is to give them what they want to hear, realizing that many of them won't want to put up with it, so they're going to leave your church and go down the street and go to the church that tells them what they want to hear. And what is the most popular brands of Christianity in America today? The happy clappyism. God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Come down and we'll heal you. Or we'll have you do the holy laugh or the holy bark or whatever else it is. Or Let's go hear Benny Hinn. You know, he's an entertaining preacher. He tells you what you want to hear. He makes up his theology as he preaches. Bob Shuler, he's Bob Shuler going to call you a sinner? Oh, no, that's the worst thing you do, tell somebody they're a sinner. That's destroying their self-esteem. The worst thing you do is tell somebody they're a sinner and under God's judgment. By the way, he said that. I'm not making that up. He believes that. People are not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to find people that tell them what they want to hear. And one interesting, and this is just as an aside, think about the last election cycle. It's interesting to me that vast majority of people on both sides, I'm not, I'm not being partisan here. You hear what? Which you want to hear. There are some people that are absolutely convinced of things that are totally false. But it doesn't matter because that's what they want to believe. And they don't want to be bothered with the facts. It's like Walter Cronkite saying, yeah, Bush called up Osama and had him do the tape for him. It's like, Walter, you know, are you senile? I mean... But there are people that believe it because they want to believe it. And look, it's on both sides. We live in a society today where a lot of things people believe have absolutely no basis in reality. It's based in what they want to believe about something. And they will come up with anything. Because it doesn't matter. And in the theological realm, we've got churches that are full of people that go there because they want to hear what the pastor says. Not because it's true, but because it makes them feel good. Paul is saying there's coming a time when they won't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own what? Lusts. Their own desires. They're going to go and find somebody that tells them what they want to hear. 
because they have itching here, they will heap up for themselves, heap up for yourself teachers. And they, they, yeah. I remember, I still remember the time I was channel surfing. That clicker's a wonderful thing, you know. But I was channel surfing. You gotta build up the muscles in your thumb, you know. And I came across, and there's this guy, looked a little bit like, had a goatee. Um, and he was talking to an audience of, of 50s and up. And uh, as they panned around the audience, there's this guy, you know, sort of looked like Bart there with gray hair, you know. And he had a teddy bear in his arm, you know. And I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he had a teddy bear in his arm. And then it pan, and there's these other, there's a, there's a lady there that had a doll. And I'm saying, now this is, this is interesting. And, and this guy was waxing on about the inner child. It was John Bradshaw. I don't know if you know John Bradshaw. He's a, you know John Bradshaw. And he was talking about the inner child. And he was talking to all of these people about how, you know, they need to get in touch with their inner child. You know, the, the poor inner child that's been, you know, stomped underground, underfoot. And, you've, you know, and, he, and he talked about techniques for talking to your inner child. And one of the ways he did is said, well, you, you, your adult child writes with the dominant hand. Your other, your inner child writes with the left hand or whatever it is. So, you know, and then he had these people writing in with their left hands notes from their inner child, you know, talking about how they're hurt. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm just, he had, he had an audience larger than a full of people listening to every word he said with their little teddy bears and dolls figuring out how to get in touch with their inner child. And you know what he was telling them? Everything they wanted to hear. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, these are intelligent, adult, American, sophisticated people believing stupidity, absolute ignorant stuff, because they want to hear it. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, you know what John Bradshaw teaches. I mean, just weird, you know. But you hear it because you want to hear it. You've got, why is Benny Hinn's church so big? Why is Schuler's church so big? He tells people what they want to hear. Your job as a preacher is to tell people what God wants them to hear. And if they hear it or not, that's not your responsibility. That's not up to you. Your responsibility, someone said your responsibility is to get God's word delivered to the table. You can't make them eat it, and you didn't cook it. You're the waiter. Your job is to get it from the kitchen to the table without dumping it on the floor. <clears throat> Paul's saying they're going to keep up the idea of heaping is to collect them. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And where are they going to turn to? Fables. We have a church today full of fables. Full of stuff that doesn't matter. P. 
people enamored by every new idea and notion that comes along. And some of them are under the guise of good things. But they're fables. How many have read the um, Left Behind series? Yeah, you have to talk to her, you know. Yeah, I know, I told her. But, but the whole, just think, you know, I'm, Tim LaHaye's a good guy, all right? He's a Christian, he's a good guy. But what is that all about? Is that biblical truth? Is that an exegetical study of end-time events? What is it? It's fiction. And it's amazing to me, there's a guy at work who's a Catholic that's read the book series through once. He's going to read it through again. And he's a Catholic. Now, if you're a Catholic and you read a series of books on a biblical topic, and you're still a Catholic, what, do you, what, what should you imply about that book? You've, you, you've missed something, right? There's something not there. There's something that it didn't say that it should say. People get sucked into that. You know, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, I'm not picking on you if you read the series or something. But the point is, if you read the series and you, and you say, well, I'm getting my devotions today. Well, how are you getting your Well, I'm reading, you know, the first five chapters of Nikolai. You know, that's my devotions for the day. You've missed something. You know? Well, that's the point. The point is, you go to Christian bookstores, and they've got sections and sections and sections and sections on fables. And you go over to the theology section on the Word of God, and you've got five or six books, and if you want anything decent, you've got to order it. Because they certainly don't stock it there, because nobody buys it. But they've got all these other books, and we see that today. We see it in the Christian church. We see the preachers that talk about self-esteem and talk about the positive things. They got people out the aisle and out the doors waiting to get in. You have people who preach the Word of God clearly, convincingly, with conviction, verse by verse what it says, and they've got empty pews because people hear what they want to hear. They're naturally drawn to that which pleases them. So, as a listener, what should you be careful not to do? You should not say, but what do you want? You want so if, you, if you're around somebody that's always tickling your ears, you need to stop and ask yourself, wait a minute. Am I getting the Word of God? Because generally people are going to follow what they want to hear. That's the nature of human. That's human nature, folks. We, we like to follow that which we like to hear. And Paul is saying they're going to turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And we got people in Christian, Christianity today that follow one fable after another. But you, but you, unlike them, you 
Be watchful in all things. What's the idea of being watchful? Alert, right? Alert to what? Alert to what you're listening to and what you're preaching. Be alert. Don't go with the flow. Be alert. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Just four commands. Timothy, you need to endure afflictions. Afflictions from what? Well, there are people that don't like what you hear. Do the work of an evangelist. What's that? What's the work of an evangelist? To proclaim the Word of God. To preach it. Fulfill your ministry. What ministry is that? Well, the ministry that God has given him. And what has God given Timothy the ministry of? Preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's your ministry. Stay awake. Put up with hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill what God has laid out for you. Your ministry. This is uh, non-negotiable kinds of things here. You all have a ministry in here. Do it. Whatever that is. Some of you have different ministries than others. And you're going to have to do it when it's good and when it's bad. You have to do it when people like what you say and when they don't like what you say. They get mad at you. So be it. Verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. What's Paul talking about there? Yeah, you go back to the Old Testament and you look at many of the offerings. What was the last act of an offering? The last act of a sacrifice? And what was it done? Poured out. That's the last, before you go home, the last thing is the drink offering being poured out. What's Paul saying? The last act that I can give God, the last sacrifice, I'm being poured out. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. The time of my departure is at hand. Um, this, of course, is the second time Paul was before Nero. And uh, at this time, he was condemned to death. He didn't know the exact time of his death. He didn't know whether it was a day, a week, a month away. It was probably very near. And uh, Paul knew he didn't have a whole lot of time left. I'm being poured out. Nothing, Paul was how old at this time? In his 60s, maybe even early 70s. Now, back then, what was that? That was a ripe old age, back then. Most people back then, the life, ex the life expectancy back then for most people was probably around 30s. Yeah, there weren't a lot of... You look around today, you see a lot of old people. 
Do you know? Do you realize that, mo that everyone in here, you've lived well beyond the average lifespan of the person in the first century. Well beyond that. Since you go back and look at life expectancies back in the centuries, and you know, 1500s, if you lived to be 50, you were doing pretty good. I and mean, just the way things were back then. Paul says, I'm, I'm old. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What race? Specifically, what race? You write the Christian race, but what race is that? Well, I did that. Well, he did that, but when he's talking about I finished the race, what race is he talking about? Whose race? No, not God's race. His race. He finished the course that God laid out for him, not for somebody else. Does God expect us all to do the same thing? Well, morally, yes, but some of us are going to live longer than others, right? What Paul is saying, he's saying, in my life, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race, the race that God gave me to do, the, the task that God laid out. I look back and I have a no regret view of my life. I finished what God laid out for me. And I don't know what that is for any of you. But I know lately I've been thinking to myself, you know, when I get to the end of my life, am I going to look back and say, you know, I could have done so much more and I was just too lazy. Or like I told the Sunday school class, you know, I'm spending my entire life watching Fox News. You know, what's the matter, you know? Learn... Learn to keep. The, yeah, I need. I'm going to go need therapy from Seth to get to get you know addiction to Fox News and O'Reilly or whatever you know. But the whole point is, you know, look at your life and ask yourself, are you finishing what God's laid out for you? Not only you can answer that. Only you know what that is, but God, God has given all of us opportunities and time to do them. How well are we on with that? Paul is saying, you know, I've spent my entire life and I can look back and say, you know, as best as I know, I fulfilled what God's called me to do. I, I did what God has called me. doesn't mean I've never made any mistakes, but to the best of my ability, the course that God laid out for me, I finished. And I've had to ask myself a lot, you know, and I've been asking myself lately, you know, am I really doing all that God has laid out for me? And, and that's, that's an individual thing. You can't ask somebody, else, well, what do you think God wants me to do? Well, what they think God wants you to do is irrelevant, right? 
It's what does God want you to do? What has God equipped you to do? What opportunities has God given you? It's interesting, you know, Richard Fisher says, hey, you want to do a class? I don't say, well, let me go pray about it and think about it. I don't need to. Because I know this is what God's called me to do. This is part of my course. And, but to be honest, you know, I look at my own life and I have to say, you know, if, if I knew, if God showed up to me and said, okay, Alan, you're going to be dead in one week. you got seven days left. I don't know if I can sit down and write, I have finished the course. I'm not sure I could do that. So I'm wondering if there's some things I should have done that I didn't do because I was busy watching Fox News or what. It's not wrong to watch Fox News, but you can get a, yes, yeah, CSI, there's one. Or Star Trek. No, that doesn't count. Star Trek's fine. But, 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 but stop and think. There's a lot of Christians today. They don't have time for God, but they got time to watch TV, and they got time to do this and do that. But, boy, you can't get them to do anything for the Lord. We have to ask ourselves. Paul's saying, you know, when I, I, I fought the good fight, the noble war, and I finished the course, and I have kept the faith. In other words, I have finished the race that God gave to me, and in doing so, I have not become disqualified. I've got to the end of my life, and I've not blown it. I've kept the faith. I've not lost it. Now, Ultimately, could Paul have lost it? No, because he's elect. Yeah, you know, the whole thing. God won't let him lose it. But you ever see some people that, you know, they, 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 they're booking down the race of life, and all of a sudden they just, like, have a blowout, and they just quit and stop, and that's the end of them? They never do get around to the finish line? I don't know about you, but, you know, I'd like to hit the finish line. I'd like God to someday say, you know, you did what you did what I wanted you to do. Ultimately, will we do everything? No. But you know what? We can do what we can do our best, can't we? That's what God, that's all God wants. He wants you to do your best. He wants you to do your best. Keep the race. Paul often talked about his life being a race. Saying, I want I want to run so I'm not disqualified. I want to finish strong. A lot of people start out good, but they don't finish very well. What's God called you to do? And what Paul said in verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge will give to me that day. Not only to me, but also who loved his appearing. A crown which is righteousness. What is the reward that Paul was looking forward to? Righteousness. You know, someday you're not going to be able to blow it. Isn't that a cool thing? You're not going to be able to sin. Paul's saying one of the rewards that I get is righteousness. Someday I'm going to be righteous and I'm not going to be able to sin. I'm not going to be able to do anything wrong. I don't have to deal with my lust. And, and if there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'd never eat it because it's not within me to do that. 
I like that. You know, the tree of life is in heaven in eternal state, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You notice that? That ain't there. But the whole point is Paul is saying, he's almost, he's almost at the point saying, I can't wait. I finished the course. I've not got any unfinished business down here. So what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for the reward. It's sort of like the athlete that that has struggled and worked and, and trained, and they go out and they cross the finish line, and they break the tape, and they win the gold medal. And all they're doing now is waiting for the judges to give them the gold medal. He's, that's what Paul, he said, I finished it. I've, I'm across the finish line. I'm just now waiting for the gold medal. I didn't blow it. I finished it. And he's going to give it not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. What does it mean to love Christ's appearing? What sense? See, when I was growing up, I heard this is one of those imperial margarine crowns. You know, the, 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 these are the, for the Christians that were looking forward to Christ coming again. And if you weren't really looking forward to Christ coming again, you didn't get this crown. Who are the ones that love his appearing? And who are those? The elect, the believers. The believers love is appearing. They're the ones who are looking forward to it. Someday we're all going to get righteousness. And when do we get that? We get that at his unveiling at the second coming. Paul's expectantly looking forward to reward because he knows he spent his entire life reaching for the prize. What's to reach? That's Philippians 3. Paul says, I've spent my entire life, I, I reach forward trying to get the prize. What prize is he coming after? What's his prize? To be like, like Christ. Do you catch it in this life? Do you get it in this life? No. But you get close. In the end of the book here, Paul has a bunch of um, personal um, statements. Be diligent, come to me quickly. Who's he talking to there? Timothy. For Demas has forsaken me. Ooh, where'd Demas show up before? in Colossians. In Colossians, he's one of the men who ministered with Paul. What's it say here? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Okay, so, was Demas a believer? Anybody want to bet, that, bet on that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to gamble. 
I don't know. But you know what? If I had to put odds on it, gambling's wrong, but if I had to put odds on it, I'm not sure he was. Because why? He loved this present world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. I'm not going to lay bets on it, but I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want to take the odds of him being in heaven. And, for, and the interesting thing here is for a while, he was with Paul of all things, right? He looked authentic. And can you imagine Paul's feeling? He said, you know, one of my best friends has abandoned me. And, and not, not, not as much as Paul saying, oh, I feel bad that he's abandoned me. But what has he done in abandoning me? He's, yeah, and, and you know, I, I tell you folks, I've been a Christian long enough to see him come and go, and I've had close friends that have gone off the deep end and become a demon. Now, how come when I asked you about these people that are going to if they're truly, if they're truly born again, well, they truly went back to the world. Well, the reason I say this is because it says he's forsaken me having loved this present world. If you show me someone who's in love with this world, they're probably not a Christian. If they fall into sin, I don't know. Yeah. And that's that's what I see here. No, no. I say if they're truly born again, there's nothing that will, no sin they can do that will cause them to lose. You don't know, and I don't know, and God will know. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, when it comes to this, you can't be certain. I don't know. John says that. Yeah. That's that's what. Yeah. It seems to be at this point that that's what happened to him. I don't know. Maybe he came back. But given what, I, what I'm given here in the text, I'm not sure. You know, and, and you're right, Seth, we don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. But Demas forsook him, having loved this present world, and departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. So these are the people that were with him, um, Demas, Crescens, and Titus. Now, Demas forsook Paul. Where did Cretans and Titus most likely do? They went to minister, and we know Titus did because Paul wrote a book called Titus. All right. Only Luke is with me. Luke, of course, the beloved physician. And then Paul says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. Now, wait a minute. What happened earlier with Mark? Big wuss, send him home to mom. I don't have time to deal with them. 
going to cry on my shoulder, send him home. I mean, that's, that's, but what happened here? What evidently did Mark do? He wasn't a demon, right? Now, he might have had a rough time, but he came back. And what did Paul say? For he is profitable to me. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. Tychicus took the books. In fact, Tychicus was one of the book runners. And he said, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Evidently, he was at Troas, and most Bible scholars, I think MacArthur brings it up in the commentary, that's where he was arrested in such a hurry he didn't have time to get his coat. And of course, it's winter now, so it's a little bit cold and chilly, so he'd like his coat. And what else does he want? The scriptures, right? The Word of God, the parchments. How do you like to be Alexander? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Watch out for Alexander. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people that you got to watch out for, and it's not an ungodly thing to use their name. I had a lady get really mad at me, saying, oh, you shouldn't call these false teachers by name. Well, I mean, what did Paul do? He said, oh, by the way, a certain coppersmith. No, he called them by name. Was Paul slandering this guy? No, he was saying something very true. He was warning Timothy to watch out for this guy because this guy did much harm and Timothy needed to watch out for him because he might try to do you some harm. Keep an eye out for him. He may not have been because it says the coppersmith. The coppersmith as opposed to Alexander. Alexander was a common name. But it could have been. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against him. What does he mean by his first offense? Before who? Nero. Who's that, who else does that sound like? Who else had that happen? Jesus Christ. When he had to stand before Herod and before Pontus, where were the disciples? Outside warming themselves by the fire. But the Lord stood with me. No one stood with me, but the Lord did. And he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles may hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. What does it mean to be delivered out of the mouth of the lion? Spared his life, and, and some have even said that what it really is referring to is the Colosseum. I mean, Nero liked to throw people to the lions, and evidently Paul was spared that death. It could be literally that he was saved from the mouth of the lions. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. What does it mean to be delivered from every evil work? What happened to Paul eventually? 
He was beheaded. Wait a minute, I thought the Lord was going to deliver you, Paul. He did. How did he deliver him? Yeah, I mean, that's a bummer, right? Gee, I get, I, get to, I get to leave prison and go to heaven and stand in the presence of God and the holy angels. Wow, that's a down day, isn't it? No, it was God delivered him through. Will God deliver us? Yeah, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. Paul's death was not the end. It was merely the beginning. It was not the great end all. It was the great beginning. Because the Lord will preserve me for what? His heavenly kingdom. He's not gonna, I'm not going to get lost along the way. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see that somebody saying, you know, I was all by myself when I stood before Nero, but God was there, and He's going to deliver me and preserve me all the way through to His kingdom. Greet Prisca, who's Prisca? Priscilla and Aquila. In the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus, if I had left it, my lead is sick. Do your utmost to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. So Paul had a lot of friends there. These are people that he mentions in the end. There's some that were Demas. They left him. Others abandoned him. Some did him evil. Alexander. Others, Paul says, greet. It's interesting. He left Trophimus at Miletus sick. I thought Paul had the gift of healing. Right? Well, we know at this point that you know, the sign gift of healing was not for everyone. And evidently Trophimus was still sick at Miletus. Where was Miletus? That's over Asia Minor, from where Paul was probably arrested and brought back to Rome. So that's 2 Timothy. See, we did get through the book tonight. Next week is pizza night. And we'll get through half a Titus. Get through half a Titus. We'll get through the other half of Titus the last week. Yeah, I'll bring the exam next week. Yep. Finally then. Alright, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this night. Thanks for the study of the Word. And I pray that you'd apply it to our hearts. Thank you so much for giving us this insight what you would have to tell us. I pray that it would change our lives in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.